You may be seated. What an amazing way to end 2019, lifting high the name of Jesus, where he belongs to be. Man, that was great. Thank you, guys. Um, My name is Tim Nellis. Um, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, And a lot of times when I'm on this stage, I don't look like this. Um, I don't maybe even sound like this. I might look a little more like this uh, and sound a little more like this as I played Angus uh, a couple years ago on VBS. Or even uh, this year, I might have looked like this and I had glasses like this and I was bouncing around like this. Um, But today you get me uh, for who I actually am. uh, And I'm super excited that this morning we get to talk about this idea. Uh, Now hear this. It sounds like the last message of our Hark series. It sounds like something that that would be the next in line, but uh, there's a spelling mistake, and all of you grammatical people are like, that's not correct. Uh, It's not a mistake. It's this idea to be present. This idea of what does it mean to be here now and to not be worried uh, about that but, but be concentrated on this. And I just want to invite us, as we get ready to engage in this, to really quiet our hearts and actually uh, work on this process of being present. So if you would just bow your heads with me, I just want to pray and breathe and focus on what is happening. Jesus, there are so many things that have been going on in our lives. In the past week, in the next year, those events can overwhelm us from being present now. And there's a lot of places that we're going to be and a lot of things that we are going to be involved in, a lot of theirs in our life. But right now, we are here in this room. And there's a lot of subjects that are going to take over our mindset and a lot of things to focus on. But at this point, you are asking us to hear this. May we be present as you are present. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, start off a little history lesson. Uh, Some of you might know who this is. A lot of you might not. This is George George Herman Ruth. Many people think that he may have been the greatest baseball player of all time. Some Mike Trout fans there are trying to develop an argument against it. But, whoa, serious Mike Trout fans out there. But there's something that's interesting about Babe Ruth. If you've ever seen the movie The Sandlot or done any history about him, he didn't just go by Babe Ruth. He went by a multiple uh, different names and titles. Uh, Some of his names were the Sultan of Swat, the Colossus of Clout, the terrible titan, the king of swing, and the great Bambino, right? You have these names that he comes with, and they are to try to uh, create a lore about him, create a legend about this man. But we serve someone who has even more names and who has even a greater legend that deserves to be built. And it's not a legend based upon what could have happened. It's based upon what did happen in the person of Jesus Christ. 
So in your bulletins, pull it out real quick. We're going to start off with a little game. And it's a little chance for you to recollect some of the names of Jesus. If you pull out your, your uh, right here, your little insert on the top, there's a box. And I want you to pull out a pen and look in the box. And you have a chance in the next few seconds to name as ma- write down as many names of Jesus or titles of Jesus that you can come up with. You can partner with the person next to you. You can challenge the person next to you. If you can't think of any names, you can try to draw a picture of what Jesus might have looked like. It's up to you. But we're going to take 30 seconds and see how many names of Jesus you can write down in that box. You guys ready? On your mark, get set, go. Look down at that paper. Concentrate. You guys doing all right? No cheating, no cheating. (laughs) All right, all right. So hopefully you got this one. Um... (laughs) This is a freebie. Uh, you wrote down Jesus. Um, who came up with quite a few names? Some of you, right? There is this beautiful, beautiful thing in the scripture where it starts to go through the names of Jesus. Some of the names include the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Great I Am, the Lion of Judah, the Prince of Peace, the Bright and Morning Star, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the Captain of the Hosts, the Alpha and the Omega, the Good Shepherd, the Chief Cornerstone, the Light of the World. That is the Jesus we serve. There's a name that I've fallen in love with recently, and it is the Word. It's not a name that came to me often growing up. I never thought of the the Word being a name for Jesus. But when we look in John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, talking about Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things came to being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And then in Colossians chapter 1, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. That is the Jesus that we serve. Now to bring it home about what this actually looks like and the power that actually exists in him, I want everyone to, to try something. And this is something that Jesus had the ability to do. And so I want to see if we can do it. Um, it says that Jesus, with his word of his mouth, spoke and things came into being. So I want you to think of something small that will fit in your hand. I want you to close your eyes and think about it really, really strongly. Like, just think about it and believe. And then on the count of three, I want you to say that item out loud. Okay? Ready? Seriously, do this. Close your eyes. Put your hands out. Some of you are like, I'm not going to do this. Ridiculous. That's the point. All right. (laughs) Hold your hands out. Think of the item. On the count of three, one, two, 
Three. Double, double animal style. (laughs) Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be amazing? But here is our God who spoke the universe into existence. He spoke the stars into existence. He knew them by name, the waters, the land, the animals, you. The word, the logos. And then it says in verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh. If we look over at Philippians chapter 2, it kind of gets into some more of the actual meaning and power of this. It's called the kenosis theory. It's, you can see it in, in verse 5 of chapter 2. It says, I have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. So Jesus, being in very nature God, he experienced the limitations of a human being. He willingly humbled himself. His glory was veiled so that he could not just be the word but that he could be Emmanuel. That he could be God with us. It amazes me the lengths that he went in order for this to be the case. Not only was he made into a human being, but he was the son of a carpenter with a teenage mom. Any teenagers out there? Raise your hand. Like a teenage mom who became a refugee, who lived in a no-name hick town and was basically a nobody and unknown until he was 30. Anyone under 30 feel like no one knows you? You're in good company. That was Jesus. And yet... He became Emmanuel. Now, hear this. Let that sink into your bones. Don't let it fly over your head. Let it sink into you. Jesus went to incredible lengths to be with us. Well, what does this look like? What did it look like when his presence finally came to earth? I think we have a great kind of example, a day in the life of Jesus, if you will, in Mark chapter 5. If you have the Bibles in front of you, it's on page 31 of the New Testament. The numbers start over about no more than halfway through. Mark 31 talks about a day in the life of Jesus. And I think that um, it's, a, it's a fascinating day in his life because 
he engages with three different people and provides three different things for them. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to sum up some of it and read parts of it. But uh, in chapter 5, it talks about the first person that he engages with. Jesus jumps in the boat and he goes across the Sea of Galilee and he enters into the non-Jewish side of the province. He went into engage with this one individual man. Now this man, he was living in the tombs. He was bound by chains that he had constantly been breaking and he was filled with demons. He was this uh, outcast. He was someone that, that everyone was afraid of. He was someone that no one wanted anything to do with except apparently Jesus. And so Jesus crosses the lake And he engages with this man. And when the demons who are possessing this man see him, they're all, what do you want with us? What are you doing? Do not cast us out. Do not send us into the abyss. Do something. But, But we are afraid of you. And so Jesus looks around and he says, okay, I will put you into this herd of pigs instead. And they're like, okay, we'll take it. We'll take it. And the story goes where Jesus has power over these demons, and he speaks to them, and he sends them into this herd of 2,000 pigs who immediately run off the side of a cliff and drown themselves. It's this kind of crazy moment, right? Can you imagine being there? I don't know if you've ever been around someone who has different powers that are inhabiting them, but it's it's a pretty intimidating moment. I've had a couple of those moments, and I'm intimidated by them, and there's this kind of this fear that that can threaten to overtake until I recognize, until I remember who it is that is with me, and who it is that is in me, and who it is that I'm representing And it's this same Jesus who had power over. And he sends them out. And in verse 15 it says, And they came came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, the very man that had the legion. And it says that the people became frightened. I think that it's interesting to engage with something that's so powerful, that's so outside of yourself, that the result is, is awe and maybe even a little fear. But the man wasn't afraid. In verse 18, it says, He was getting into the boat, and the man who had been possessed, demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And, he did, and Jesus did not let him, but he said, Go home to your people and report the great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. This first interaction happens. Who says that's enough for one day? I'm exhausted even thinking about it. Like, that's enough. Um, So Jesus gets back in the boat and he goes back across the lake. And then it says, immediately he engages with this man named Jairus. Jairus was uh, uh, an official in the synagogue. He worked for God. And he says, my daughter's sick. She's about to die. I don't know what to do. I am desperate. Would you please come and heal my daughter? And Jesus says, yes, show me the way. 
And he gets distracted, and we'll talk about that in a second, by something that happens along the way. Uh, But the distraction happened long enough that the girl died. In verse 35, it says, while he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue officials saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And so they went to the house. In verse 40, it says they began, but the people were outside, and and Jesus said, I've come to, to heal her, that she's only asleep. And people laughed at him. And he says this, but putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old, and immediately they were completely astounded. And then Jesus gave him strict orders that no one should know about this. And it's just this amazing moment where Jesus hears the plight of this official. And he is following the official, and all of a sudden he gets distracted. And in the midst of the distraction, he stops. And, and then the girl is dead, and the official is too late. I've lost everything. And he says, no, nothing is too late with me. Nothing is too powerful for me. Nothing is too hard for me. Where is your daughter? Let me see her. And he walks over to the daughter, speaks to her with his words. And the same one that spoke her alive the first time spoke her alive again. And his words and his power were executed in such a way where it left them astounded and restored life. The third person he interacted with on this day was on the way to this synagogue's official house. Verse 25, it says, A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came in. She came in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately the flow of blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed in her affliction. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving himself, uh, to, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth and turned, uh, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see, who, uh, to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction." I think that there are some things we can just gather about Jesus from this story. Number one, um, Jesus, uh, he has some authority and has some power over darkness 
over demons, over evil, over death, over sickness, and over shame. He also sees people that a lot of people miss. He sees the broken. He sees the destitute. He sees the lost. He sees those who are forgotten. He sees those who are important. He sees people. You see, when Emmanuel came, he came to be with us. And that Jesus' presence is for, in this chapter, three types of people. It's for those who are acting against God. That demon-possessed man was in active rebellion to the things of God. It says that he is for those who are acting for God. For this synagogue official who had dedicated his life to working for God. And it also shows us that Jesus is for those who don't think they are worthy of God. You see, this bleeding woman hadn't been able to set foot in the synagogue ever since she had gotten sick. And it had been years since she had been able to be in the presence of anything that resembled God. And she believed that she wasn't worthy of it. And what does this mean for us? Well, it means that Jesus, he wants to be with you. Because what this chapter shows is that Jesus is for everyone. Raise your hand if you are a part of everyone. 100% participation, right? You are a part of everyone. Now I want you to do something that for some of you will be easy, for others of you will be hard. I want, to talk, I want you to talk to yourself in the third person. You know, I do that all the time. Um, but I want you to say your name and then say that Jesus is here for you. Something kind of like this. Tim, Jesus wants to be with you. Ready? So you do the same thing, but with your name. Ready? Go. Was that hard for some of you? Maybe it's hard to believe that. Like, let's reiterate it, right? Jesus wants to be with you. He wants to walk with you, to know you, to hear your story, and to exercise his power in your life. The book of Malachi says that Jesus would come with healing in his wings. It's a beautiful picture that's painted. And the problem, though, with this is a lot of times we want to be near Jesus for what he wants to give us more than we want to be near Jesus to be with him. We're, ent- we're exiting a gift-giving season. Who believes that you gave a good gift in the last couple weeks? Anyone? Work hard? Who received? Anyone receive a good gift? Mm-hmm. It's so interesting that we often rely on presence to be the thing that communicates our love for each other, Right? 
So if you don't really care that much about someone, you know, like the, the $2 socks that are in the aisle by the checkout, you're like, okay. You know, if you receive that as your main gift, it's a little disappointing. Like, oh, how important am I to you, right? But if all of a sudden you walk out and there's a bow on a Lexus, you're like, whoa! I'm a, that's crazy, by the way. Um, that, like, that is like, oh, you really care about me. We often look to gifts as being evidence of love or care for uh, each other. And we often do that with Jesus, too. Actually, I think a lot of us treat Jesus a lot like we treat this one. We see Jesus as a bearer of good gifts. That's watching our behavior. That's making lists. Checking them twice. And delving out his gifts, whether we are naughty or nice. And our conversations with him are few and far between and filled with requests. That is not what Jesus wants to be in your life. You see, so many people come to Jesus hoping to receive his presence when the true gift of Jesus is found in his presence. It is Jesus being with you that is the gift. To sit with him, to know him, to stop being very concerned with what he does or doesn't even give you, but fall in love with his character, fall in love with the way he views the world, fall in love with the way he thinks about people who are hurting and broken, fall in love with the way he thinks about people who are successful and doing great. You fall in love with the way he acts and reaches out to the poor and the destitute, to the people who are pressed by darkness, to those who are pressed by sickness, to those who are engaged in death, and you fall in love with who Jesus is not what he does. You see, there is incredible blessing that comes in being in the presence of Jesus. And it is far different than the blessing that you might be thinking about of what you hope happens in your life in the year 2020. There's this idea that we want good things, and if I think about good things, and I concentrate on good things, and if I ask for good things, good things are going to happen. It's about the good things in life. The more, the better. And we ask Jesus for a lot of good things, don't we? Health, healing, success, purpose. Those are good things. But I think when we start to engage the character of Jesus, we start to discover that the truly good things more resemble humility, sacrifice, and willingness to do whatever is needed at that moment, and availability 
availability? How available are you? If I said, can we have lunch this week? I can pencil you in for March. (laughs) Isn't that what our life sometimes becomes like? Even availability? So I'm going to show a short little clip. It's of this uh, hardened criminal that has started to discover what these character traits actually look like when they're played out. So check this out. Oh, oh, when's the fairy princess coming? Any minute now. So if you haven't seen it, Despicable Me, that is Groot. He is a criminal mastermind who is obsessed with himself, who finds these three little girls and starts to understand that the true valuable things in life require him giving instead of getting. Him sacrificing, willing to make a fool of himself, willing to do whatever is necessary at the time and has the time to do it. And it makes me ask this question, how available are we? Like, do we have the time to spend with Jesus, to learn to appreciate Jesus, to become like Jesus, to share Jesus? This is Rick Berksham. Uh, He's an amazing man that has had a huge impact in our college ministry over the years. And I don't know if you know Rick, but he is someone who is fully, not fully available, but he's pretty stinking available. 
like he's driving up uh, every single year uh, up to Lake Shasta with a bunch of college students riding in a boat for seven hours a day while they're towing behind him. Um, then he's driving back all night because he's getting there for a wedding. And like the other day, he told me about this guy who called him who was kind of on his last leg and didn't know what he was going to do uh, for life. And he's just like, it's 1 a.m. in the morning. And he's like, okay, uh, don't do anything. Let's go to Denny's, right? The 1 a.m. Denny's run that we're all so ready to take, uh, which is hard to be, but, but Rick has taken these steps in his life and has shaped his life so that he can be available. And I think so many times we're like, well, he's someone that has great ability. He's an elder. And you just, we need to remember this, that it's not ability that God is searching for. It's availability. When God says, who am I going to use? Who am I going to move in? It has nothing to do with what you have to offer him. It has everything to do with you being able to say, here am I. Here am I. And I will be as available as you need to be. So questions to ask yourself that are good. Are you physically available? Do you physically have time in your life to be with God and to be with others? Are you emotionally available? Some of you are emotionally not available. You are blocked off, and this needs to be a year where you go, and maybe you go to counseling. Maybe you, you start a process to deal with some of the emotional things that you've always planned on never dealing with and actually become emotionally available. Are you mentally available? How many times have you been like, I've been listening the whole time. I'm like, this is struggle for me, right? Like, oh yeah, I heard everything that you're saying, right? And I'm like, click, 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 swipe, swipe, swipe and I'm not mentally there, or I'm carrying with me the problems of a situation at church, and I'm, they are still fully present, and then I'm sitting at the dinner table, and in my mind, I am not mentally available. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves wanting to be a blessing, but we haven't been able to get there yet. But it's not until Jesus' presence becomes a blessing to you, that he will be a blessing through you. If Jesus' presence in your life is not something that you have learned to sit in, to be in, to make a priority, you will never be able to be the type of blessing that he wants you to be to those around you. So on the back of your handout, there's an exercise that you should, you should do. Setting good margins in your life. Something that we don't have a lot of. You should sit down with your family at some point this week, and you should set some margins and say, I am blocking out my schedule in such a way that I have created room for him to move for him to speak to me, for me to be available. When's the last time you got a last-minute invite that you could say yes to? Oh, sure. That would be great. Dinner tonight? Sure. When's the last time you had time to sit and watch the sunset? Reading a book. Because I guarantee you, maybe the most spiritual thing you'll do all day 
is watch the sunset and be in awe of the God who created it and be reconnected to him. Building margin into our lives, I think, is a discipline that we need to engage with. So here's my challenge to you. Is that we enter 2020 with a new mentality and a new heart that is presence. That is not waiting for the next thing. That is not wanting to be in the next place. That is not worried about the next subject. But we are fully present wherever we go. And as we are present, to be engaged in such a way where we actually have something significant to offer, and we see the significance of Jesus in our life and what he has to offer us. Can I just pray for us? Jesus, I am so grateful for your presence. I'm grateful that you took the steps to come down, and in such a humble way you did it. And I thank you that it didn't stop of you becoming a man, but it says that you humbled yourself to the point of death, and even death on a cross. And you died for us. And not only have you died for us, but then you went to the grave and you conquered death for us. That we are no longer subjugated to death, but we are now able to interact with the Word, with Emmanuel today, and that we can enter the throne room of God with confidence because we have a great high priest who has gone before us and paved the way. And may those who have never engaged with you, never sat in your presence, never heard you say their name and that you love them, may this be a moment where they sit in your presence and hear that you love them and that you have rescued them and that you have a new life that is for them. May this be the day of salvation. Jesus, thank you that you will go before us. Thank you that you went before us. And may this idea become a mantra where our presence is felt and your presence is loved. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.